evening. My name is Jeff Royce. I'm a teaching pastor here at Cornerstone, and I'm glad to be able to share with you today. Although I'm not glad for the reason why I'm here today. I'm filling in for Pastor Ron. Pastor Ron was up today, but his grandfather became gravely ill a couple of days ago, and Pastor Ron is with his family this weekend. And I know he would appreciate your prayers on behalf of him and his grandfather and his family. So we'll keep them in our prayers throughout the week to come. Uh, we're continuing our series called Red, looking at the teachings of Jesus. And uh, this morning we're going to be in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6, verse 25. Uh, and if you don't have a Bible, we're going to have those words up on the screen for you. And we're looking at the subject of worry that Jesus talks about, or being bothered, if you will. And as I approached this passage, uh, I came up with a few questions that I had as I went through this passage, and then I saw several questions that Jesus had as he approached the subject of worry and of being bothered. And one of the things that that reminded me of when I read through this passage and how Jesus was asking us questions is how important it is to God that we think and that we use our brains and our relationship to him there's a lot of people that say, well, you become a Christian, you're a follower of Christ, you know, you just sort of shut your brain off and just blindly follow God. No, that's not it at all. In fact, God encourages us to think, to reason things out, to think things through, to process things with our mind, and that's exactly what Jesus is doing here in this passage as he asks us several questions. The first question, though, came from me as I studied this passage, was in verse 25, why is the word therefore, therefore? What's it there for? Uh, because when you come across that word in the Bible, it's always pointing back to something that someone has just said. And in verse 24, uh, Jesus has just taught his followers that no man can serve two masters. And that's the foundation then for what he's going to share about the subject of worry or being bothered. And when Jesus tells us that no man can serve two masters, he's simply saying this, that as God, he realizes that no human being can really focus or concentrate on more than one thing at one time. Now, we can do more than one thing at one time, and we certainly live in a world and a culture where we multitask, where we do more than one thing, where we juggle. In fact, many times I used to think my life was like the plate spinner that would go around and try to keep all the plates spinning at the same time. It, you know, we can do that, but Jesus is simply saying, when it comes to real focus and real concentration, we can really only focus and concentrate on one thing at a time. In fact, beyond the subject of worry and anxiety and all that, no matter what we're dealing with, that's why a lot of times when folks come to me or others for counseling or advice or whatever, they, they have all these different things in their lives that's hitting them all at the same time. And they're becoming actually more frustrated and more discouraged because they're trying to sort of deal with all these things at the same time. And a principle that I've tried to live by many, many years now is a human being can only fight one battle at one time. And then we focus on that and we move on to something else and we prioritize as we go. And that's really what Jesus is saying here. That's why then he builds on that foundation with these words, verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry. Now, my next question is, what is worry? What is worry? Very interestingly, 
Jesus uses a word for worry that literally means to be drawn in different directions, which goes back to what he just said in verse 25 about how no human being can really focus and concentrate on more than one thing at one time. And now, all of a sudden, he's saying, don't worry. Because what worry does is worry draws us in all these different directions. Literally, it could also mean being pulled apart. And that's a lot of times when you talk to somebody who's under a lot of stress, a lot of anxiety in their life, they're worried about all these different things, they'll even use that language. They'll say, I feel like my life is being pulled apart. In fact, it's also interesting that this concept of worry or the word worry, when it was transferred into the English language for the very first time, and they were trying to figure out how to, how to word this and how to make sense of it, they used a word in the Old English which meant to strangle. Well, that's another really vivid picture of what worry and anxiety can do to a person. It can literally strangle us uh, if it grabs a hold of our life. It can consume us. It can paralyze our life. In fact, it's also very interesting that, and any of you in this room like myself who struggled with anxiety at times in our life, we even know that when we struggle sometimes with worry, with fear, with anxiety, and maybe even panic attacks, that we feel like we can't breathe, that we feel like our air is being cut off and I can't get air. That's exactly why Jesus said, don't worry. I don't want to see any human being, Jesus says, feel like they're being pulled apart in all these different directions. That's not the kind of life that God created for us as human beings to live. Now, God is not saying in this passage, don't be concerned at all about these things. You know, don't, don't uh, put effort and energy and time and planning. What we're going to see as we move through this passage on Jesus teaching on this that he's really talking about a matter of priority and a matter of focused thinking. Because going back again to the principle about no man can serve two masters, Jesus is just simply saying, you and I can only really focus and concentrate on one thing at a time, so here's what I think we as human beings should focus and concentrate on. In fact, you'll notice in verse 25, the whole context of worry here is in the area of physical, material, earthly, transitory things. Notice Jesus says, do not worry, do not be pulled apart, do not be drawn into all these different directions in dealing with your life, your physical life, what you will eat or what you will drink or about your body, what you will wear. Now again, Jesus isn't saying don't be concerned at all about those things, but that that should not be the focus and concentration of a human being's life. Why? Because notice the first question Jesus gives us at the end of verse 25. Here's what Jesus asks. Isn't there more to life than food and more to the body than clothing? Isn't there more to our existence as a human being than what we can see, what we can feel, what we can touch, what we can taste? what we can hear? Isn't there more than this? In fact, the word that Jesus uses for life there in verse 25 is not the word for physical existence. It's used in verse 25 earlier. It's a word that's, that literally means breath. And it takes us back to the book of Genesis where the Bible teaches that God breathed into human beings the breath of life and we became a living soul made in the image of God. 
And Jesus Christ is saying, don't, we need to come to a point where we realize that our life and our existence on this earth should not just be wrapped up in the physical, material, earthly, transitory things of life, but that there's life on a much higher plane, that there's a life with God and in relationship to God that human beings need to find in their life. And that's why Jesus then asked this question, isn't there more to, is this all there is to life? Is this all we work for? Is, is this all we exist for is just this? Jesus says, isn't there more to life than this? And of course, he's expecting the answer to be, yeah, there is. I have come to discover that there's more than just my physical existence, material things, transitory things, earthly things that my life should be wrapped around. Then notice verse 26. Again, Jesus is saying, now think, look, observe. He says, look at the birds in the sky. They do not sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. He says, let's take a few moments and let's look at the animal kingdom. And let's look at how God takes care of the animal kingdom, how he provides for them, how he cares for them. And then notice the next question Jesus gives us at the end of verse 26. Aren't you more valuable than they are? Now, Jesus here isn't saying that animals aren't of any value. Of course they are. But he's simply saying that human beings have a value to God that is above every other thing that he's ever created. Why? Because we are the only part of God's creation that was made in the image of God. Again, going back to the book of Genesis, God said, let us, Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, let us make man, human beings, in our image. And he breathed into us the breath of life. So we are of more value to God than we could ever imagine. And God is saying, if I take care of the animal kingdom, if I provide for them, if I provide food for that bird that is of value but not more valuable than you, don't you see the value that you have for God before God and how God really values you and cares for your life? And another thing, if you're here this morning and you've personally accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, and you have a relationship with God, not only are you of value to God because you're one of his creations made in the image of God, but you're one of his children. In fact, John, in, God, in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 12 says, to those who have received Jesus Christ and believed in his name, God has given them the right to be called the children of God. Wow, well, to be a child of God, do we not think that we are of value to God? We're of value already just because we're made in his image. And now Jesus says, aren't you more valuable than they? Then notice the next question, verse 27. And which of you, by worrying, can add even one hour to his life? Most of what people are anxious or worried about deals with things in the future that either haven't happened yet maybe even never will. So Jesus says, why do we as human beings spend so much time of our precious life, which is so fragile, why do we spend so much time burning up those emotional BTUs inside of us over something that either may not happen or is far down the road? And then 
Jesus just gets very pragmatic here. He says, and does it really work? I mean, does, does worrying really do anything about that? You see, there's a difference between worry and concern. Concern is where I, as a human being, can do something about something. Worry is just where I'm filling my mind and heart with these thoughts, and it's totally out of my control. I can't do anything about it. And Jesus says, does that kind of thinking really add any time to your life? In fact, any of us who've ever struggled with fear, anxiety, worry, all of that, we realize that no, probably that kind of lifestyle takes a few hours off of our life rather than adding time to our life. So Jesus just gets very practical and very pragmatic and says, does worrying really add anything to our life? Does it really make a difference? Then notice the next question, verse 28. And why do you worry about clothing? Clothing here in the context about anything that illustrates, again, the physical, material, transitory things of life. We know that because let's just read further down. Think about how the flowers of the field grow. They do not work or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his glory was clothed like one of these. And if this is how God clothes the wild grass, which is here today and basically gone tomorrow, won't he clothe you? See, Jesus is also saying, when we begin to think about our life and, and take stock of our life and where our life is at and where our life is going, he says, doesn't it make sense that we should be investing in eternal things and in what counts for eternity more so than just the physical, transitory, earthly things that aren't going to last? Now again, Jesus here isn't teaching not to be concerned about those things at all. He's simply saying, as a matter of priority, shouldn't my priorities be eternal things over the transitory things? Doesn't eternity trump earthly life? Doesn't you know, what's forever and what counts for forever more important than what just counts for life here and now? He wants us to think through that. Of course, he hopes that our response would be, yeah, you're right, Jesus. What matters for eternity is certainly more important than what matters for just the here and now. And let's think about it. Even if you and I live to be 100 years old on this earth, compared to eternity, that's like a grain of sand on the seashore compared to all the other grains of sand. It's nothing because eternity is forever. And I realize, you know, we live in such a, a time-based culture and society and world that it's hard for us to wrap our minds around something that never ends. But that's what the Bible teaches, that eternity is forever. So shouldn't forever be more important to me and the things that affect eternity than what's just about the here and now? In fact, if you go back to verses 19, 20, and 21 of Matthew 6, notice what Jesus says. He says, Do not accumulate for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But accumulate for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And Jesus is just simply saying, Shouldn't our heart be in the direction of eternal things rather than making a priority out of the earthly, transitory things, material things of life. 
Then go back to verse 30. Here's the next question. Won't he clothe you even more, you people of little faith? What is little faith in the Bible? I would like to submit to you this morning that little faith in the Bible is not about the amount of our faith. Because the Bible never teaches us as human beings to focus on our faith. In fact, Jesus even said in another part of the Gospels that you and I could have faith the size of a mustard seed and we could do great things. Well, a mustard seed is very small. It's not the amount of our faith that's as important as the object of our faith. And so every time the Bible uses the concept of little faith or great faith, what it really means is, do I believe, what's my view of God? Do I even believe in God? And if I do believe in God, is he a little God? Is he a big God? Is he a God who really cares about me? 1 Peter 5, 7 says so. Peter says, God cares for you, therefore cast your cares upon him. Can God do something in my life? Will God do something in my life? That's what the Bible teaches when it uses these phrases, little faith, big faith. If I do believe in God, then how big do I think he is? Do I believe in a God that's big enough to handle any problem I'll ever come across? Do I believe that I have a God who can overcome anything in my life that's a barrier to him? Do I believe in an all-powerful, almighty God that nothing is too hard for and nothing is impossible for? Jesus says that's big faith. Let me illustrate. Later on in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus asks his disciples to get into a boat and to go to the other side of Galilee with him in the boat. About halfway across, and this lake is huge, Jesus falls asleep, and now this big storm begins to engulf the boat. And the disciples, who are very experienced fishermen, you wouldn't think just any storm's gonna freak them out, the disciples come to Jesus and wake him up and say, Jesus, do you not care that we're about to die out here in the middle of this lake? And Jesus looks up at them, and here's what he says. Why are you so afraid and cowardly, you of little faith? And then the Bible says he rebukes the winds and the waves, and everything gets calm on the Sea of Galilee. And the disciples turn to each other and go, what kind of person is this that even the waves and the sea obey him? You see, Jesus was using that phrase, little faith, in the context of he was there. God was in the boat with them, and they were still afraid. Why? Because to them, at this point in their walk with him, they were still struggling with, with, well, does Jesus really care about me? And if he does, can he help me? And if he can help me, will he help me? No different questions than what you and I struggle with at times in our relationship with God. And that's why God says, I want to see big faith in your life. Big faith meaning that I want you to magnify me in your life and lift me up and get such a high view of God that you realize that there is nothing in this world that I can't take care of in your life and deal with. And, and if there's an obstacle or a barrier between me and you, I can solve that. I can help you overcome worry and anxiety and fear and all those things because I'm such a big God. It's not that God wants us to ever focus on our problems or circumstances. Again, he wants us to focus and concentrate on him because no man can serve two masters. So then in the Gospel of Luke, here's a story that illustrates big faith. A Roman centurion soldier had a very dear servant of his who was sick and about ready to die. 
And he sends a couple of his friends to Jesus and says, Jesus, all you have to do is say the word and my servant will be healed. And Jesus says, I haven't found that kind of great faith in all of Israel. And again, the reason why Jesus said great faith is because the centurion believed in such a big Jesus, such a big God, that Jesus didn't even have to be there and he could heal his servant long distance. You see, that's what made this request so special. Because up to this point in Jesus' ministry, everybody that he had healed, he was there. When a blind person needed his sight, Jesus was there. When somebody needed their hearing, Jesus was there to touch them, to pray over them. But now the centurion says, Jesus, I know you are such a big God that you don't even need to be physically present to heal my servant. All you have to do is say the word because your word is so powerful. That's big faith. That's big faith. And that's the kind of faith that Jesus wants us to have. He doesn't want us to believe, even if we believe in him, that we believe in a, a little God, a God who's this small. He wants us to believe in a great God that can do great and amazing things. God cares for you. God can and God will. And that's what Jesus wants us to take from this passage. Because if we believe in a God who cares, who can, and who, can, who will in our lives, Worry and anxiety and fear begin to melt away because faith and fear are mutually exclusive. And that's why the Bible tells us that those of us who follow Christ should walk by faith, not by fear. In fact, 2 Timothy 1.7, Paul says, God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, love, and of a sound mind. If we're gripped in our lives by fear, by worry and anxiety, that doesn't come from God. God wants us to truly experience life on a higher plane. How do we do that? Well, we're getting to that. Notice verse 31. So then, don't worry saying what will we eat or what we will drink or what we will wear for the unconverted pursue these things. The next question I had as I studied this passage was, why do the unconverted pursue these things? Unconverted meaning those who don't have a personal relationship with God. Why are their lives so wrapped up in the transitory, material, physical, just earthly things? Well, for one reason, that's all they know. For most of them, either they don't believe in eternity, they're not living for eternity, as Jesus teaches us here. So for them, this life that they have and all that they have in this life is all they'll ever know. So that's why they go after all these things. It makes perfect sense. Because until you and I come into a personal relationship with God and know that there's life out there that's so much more than what we see just with our physical eyes, that's all we are going to go after. And then the second reason is this. Going back to that concept of life being breathed from God and God creating human beings to have a relationship with him, the reason why they continue to pursue things is because they're looking for that aha moment that moment in their life where they finally find that person or that thing in their life where they go, that's what I was looking for. That's finally what has brought satisfaction and fulfillment lasting to my life. That, that's it. And you see, Jesus here is teaching that human beings can go through their life filling their lives with all these earthly, material, physical, transitory things, and they're never going to find total fulfillment, lasting satisfaction in anything on this earth because that's not the way God made us. 
God made us to have a living, vibrant, vital relationship with him because he's our breath. He's the one who breathed life into us, and he created us to have a personal relationship with him. Therefore, until we come to that point where we have a personal relationship, we're going to continue to seek out there in the world for things that really bring satisfaction. And Jesus is just simply saying, it won't happen. That's why then notice verse 33. Here's the follow-up. Jesus says, then above all, above everything else in your life, make your relationship with God, my relationship with God, the priority of our lives. Above all, pursue his kingdom and righteousness, and all these things will be given to you. Why should I listen to Jesus at this point? Three reasons. Three reasons why I should listen to what Jesus says about making God the priority of my life. First of all, it's what we're all searching for. It's, it's how God made us. God, I believe, made us when he breathed into us the breath of life and created us in his image to have a relationship with him. And so I can continue to search through my life, but until I come to a point where I make God and my relationship with him the priori priority of my life, I'll continue to search. And Jesus says, I don't want you to go through life continuing to search for something that's right there. I'm reaching out to you, maybe even here this morning, saying, I love you, I care about you, I want to have a relationship with you. It's really what you're searching for, and once you find me, you'll go, that's it, that's it. None of us who've ever given our life to Jesus Christ has ever regretted it. None of us. I can stand. I've never regretted a day in my life that I gave my life to Jesus Christ and I made God the priority of my life. Never regretted it a day and you won't either. Second reason why we should listen to Jesus. It simplifies our life. Notice Jesus says, make God the priority of my life by pursuing his kingdom and righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. In other words, if I make God the priority of my life, He'll help me prioritize everything else. All those other things earlier on that can pull us apart, that can draw us in all these different directions, Jesus says, no, no, no. It doesn't have to be like that. Life can be so simple. It can be boiled down to one focus, that human beings were made to focus and concentrate on their relationship with God. And when you and I focus on our relationship with God, then God will help us prioritize everything else in our life where it should be. That makes life a lot more simple than what it is for most people. And it also helps us separate our needs from our wants. Because many times, before I make God the priority of my life, I may think I really need something. I may think, boy, if I got that, that would really be what I'm looking for to bring satisfaction and fulfillment and contentment. But when I make God the priority in my life, I realize I'm there. That's why the psalmist said in Psalm 23, verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not what? Want. My shepherd's a good shepherd. He will lead me to still waters. He will lead me to green pastures. He'll even prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. My cup will run over. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It's going to be good when I make God the priority of my life. It will simplify my life if I focus on him. And then, verse 34, it equips me 
It equips me to get the most out of today. Notice what Jesus says in verse 34. So then, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Today has enough trouble of its own. You see, worry and anxiety and fear rob us of our joy. They take all the enjoyment out of life. And God created us not just to live, but to enjoy life. And God says not just to enjoy life, but to enjoy every day of our life, because every day is precious. Because life is so fragile, and, and life is so precious down here on earth. And so Jesus wants us to soak up every day and get the most out of every day that we live. Well, if I've got worry and if I've got anxiety and fear invading my life and pulling me in all these different directions, guess what it does? It keeps me from really enjoying what God has for me today. And God wants you and I to enjoy today. So many of us probably have come in here and we're already, our minds and hearts are thinking about Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday this coming week. And Jesus says, but wait a minute, what about today? You see, you and I have to realize sort of a sobering thought, that there will never be another Sunday at Cornerstone Christian Fellowship just like this Sunday. With this particular combination of people, with me speaking, with the people up here on the platform leading us, in, there will never be another Sunday just like this Sunday. And Jesus says, so let's, let's take advantage of today and let's live today to the fullest instead of allowing worry and anxiety and stress and fear to strangle the joy out of what God has for us today. We may miss a blessing God has for us today. We may miss an opportunity, a relationship, something today by being so focused on tomorrow and on the worries and cares of tomorrow that we miss out on what God has for us today. The final question that I had as I studied this was, Am I really enjoying life or enduring life? Am I really enjoying life or Because here's the thing. The whole reason Jesus shared all this in Matthew chapter 6 was so that we could enjoy life, so that we could banish worry and fear and anxiety and really soak up every day as God intended for us to when he created us and put us here on this earth. If you doubt that, let me share with you a couple verses of Scripture from the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes where Solomon writes this. I have concluded that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to enjoy themselves as long as they live. See, there are some people that believe that God doesn't want us to enjoy life. If I give my heart to God or if I make God the priority of my life, it's not going to be any fun anymore. No, that's not. In fact, I'm really going to start living when I make God the priority of my life. Because notice what Solomon goes on to say. I also perceive that this ability to find enjoyment comes from God. For no one can experience true joy apart from him. You see, the Bible teaches that even the ability to find enjoyment in every day that I live is actually a gift from God. That God is basically saying, if I make him the priority of my life, that one of the gifts that he will give me is the gift to be able to find enjoyment in the everyday living of my life. Sure, life is mundane at times. It's, it's you know, routine. It's getting up. It's doing what we usually do. 
But at the same time, life is never static. It's always dynamic. We're always meeting and can meet new people and have new circumstances hit us every day. And, and we can always find more of God in every day that we live and learn more of God every day that we live. And so God says, I want every day for you to be enjoying, satisfying, fulfilling, exciting, passionate, you name it. And I'm just going to share with you a personal testimony. For many years, I think one of the reasons why this message hits home to me is because my life was filled with anxiety and worry and fear. And through the power of Jesus Christ, he helped me to get victory over that. And he can you as well. And when you and I make God the priority of our life, we will start living like we have never lived before. Because there was a time in my life where I was a Christian, I had accepted Christ as my Savior, I was on my way to heaven, but I hadn't made God the priority of my life. And when I made God the priority of my life, my life went up to a whole other level that I never even realized existed. That's what Jesus meant when he said to his followers, I have come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. Are you and I enjoying life the way God intended or are we just enduring it because we're so gripped with worry, we're being pulled apart, we're being drawn apart in all kinds of different directions? I'm praying today that for all of us in here, whether you know God yet or not, that maybe today will be the first day of the rest of our lives where we say to God, God, I'm listening to you, and I'm going to make you the priority of my life. Let's pray. God, I thank you for the wisdom and words of Jesus here. And I just pray that for all of us in this room that God, we truly might think through the questions that Jesus asks us here in this passage of Scripture and that we might come to grips with maybe what our life is, where it's going, where it's headed, what we're pursuing. And Lord, that we might think through the priorities of our life. And Lord, I realize all of us at times, we, we need to sometimes just reprioritize. Sometimes our priorities have gotten out of whack and the things that should be most important to us have been dropped to a lower shelf. So God, I just pray that in these few moments we have remaining today in this service together, again, no service will ever be just like this one, that God, we will be led by you. And Lord, whatever you're speaking into our life, God, we would just simply obey submit and say, God, in your presence right now and in the presence of these people, I'm committing my life to you and I want to make you the priority of my life. God, use this message, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.